Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You've tuned in to Sci-Fi Fidelity, episode 67, Michael Emerson interview. Welcome back to Sci-Fi Fidelity. It's Mike and Dave here with you. We're back with season five of the podcast, and we don't have a whole lot of changes in store for you, but we do hope you enjoyed the hiatus episodes that we were able to give you. I really had a lot of fun putting together the interview mashups. Dave, did you enjoy those? <laughs> oh, I did, dude. You are the master editor, I must say, but those were a lot of fun to revisit in a different format. That's exactly right. And had a couple of discussion topics there for you as well uh, before we had a lot of audience involvement. And we're looking forward to getting back into that again with you as well. But we're starting off season five, as we mentioned in episode 66, before we went to the bonus episodes, an interview edition of the podcast with Michael Emerson. And Michael Emerson is really uh, genre television emeritus status. And I think I might say that mostly from the standpoint of uh, his appearance on Lost, because don't you feel like Lost kind of set the stage for a lot of television discussion podcasts like the one we're doing right now? Well, a- absolutely. And, you know, you and I have had the good fortune to interview a lot of actors, showrunners, writers over the years. And there are certain ones that really made us uh, quite a bit nervous. William B. Davis, uh, a.k.a. The Smoking Man, for one. Uh, George Takai for another. Mr. Sulu. Yeah. Well, and it's also the the actors that have distinctive voices. It can be very jarring when we first interview them to hear the voice that we know so well on the other end of the phone. And invariably, they are so down to earth. Exactly. And that's certainly the case with Michael Emerson. And of course, Michael Emerson probably needs no introduction, but just in case you're not familiar with some of his other work and what he's going to be talking about with us today... Most sci-fi fans met Michael Emerson when he appeared as Ben Linus in Lost, as we mentioned. But since then, he's been a genre fan favorite with his lead role as Harold Finch in Person of Interest and his turn as Caden James on Arrow. And now he's returning to CBS this fall as Leland Townsend on Evil, a supernatural show centering on the criminal mind and demonic possessions that premieres on September 26th at 10, 9 central. He's going to talk to us a little bit about his character and what that show is all about. But we also got a little bit out of him for uh, Lost and Person of Interest as well for fans of that show. So here he is, Michael Emerson, talking about evil. All right, well, it's always fun to talk to someone about a new show that's coming out. And Evil is a series that pairs a female clinical psychologist with a priest in training as they investigate supposed miracles, demonic possessions, and other extraordinary occurrences to see if there's a scientific explanation or if something truly supernatural is at work. Michael Emerson plays a character named Townsend in the show. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Good to be here. Thank you. 
So before we get into your character in Evil specifically, it, it appears as though the show, certainly the way Mike just described it, takes some elements of the X-Files skeptic versus believer. I mean, is that a fair comparison to make? And will the show explore a deeper mythology the way the X-Files and, and certainly Lost did? I can't predict whether it would go into some longer, deeper narrative, but certainly it, it does echo that setup of the of the odd couple investigating mysterious events. In this case, it's a little more about, uh, because the Kings are are such good writers about courtrooms, this has a lot to do with claims or accusations of demonic possession in cases of capital murder and, and other kinds of cases. But the ongoing story is the leads looking into cases of what seems to be supernatural intervention in the affairs of men. Oh, very intriguing. Now, you mentioned courtroom. I mean, is, is it going to be procedural in nature for the most part? There, there will be courtroom scenes. Uh, it's uh, Robert and Michelle King of The Good Wife, and courtroom stuff is kind of their specialty, and they're real comfortable there, and they know they know how to write that stuff, but they, they're good writers on all fronts. I think so. This one, it's not so much courtroom centered. It's it's a little more investigation into strange events and also into their own heads about, you know, what do they believe in or what are their fears or, you know, is there anything supernatural in their lives? It's interesting that way and a departure for CBS, I would say, because I don't remember a CBS show that had a horror component in it there's some scary stuff in this show which is interesting I'll, I'll be curious to see you know how it flies and what the audience reaction is when they played the trailer for it at the upfronts the audience gasped at a couple <laughs> of points in it so that's a that's a positive and there seemed to be a lot of excitement about i guess you know people like the thrills and chills and i, I think they may get them from evil well and i think in that sense cbs uh, did the procedural meets genre television in a way with person of interest, which was kind of science fiction in its own way. So that's right. And it's a mix that can work. And, and uh person of interest was allowed to sort of drift away from the standalone crime of the week kind of format into, as you said, a larger, darker, deeper mythology, you know, kind of a Uber narrative there, which I enjoyed. I don't know how they felt about it at CBS, but I thought that was a good story. Well, I was a huge fan. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought, I thought that was a smart show, uh, and I, I thought it was real topical. Yeah, and you play a character in Evil called Townsend, and Townsend is yeah. described as a seemingly kind and trustworthy man with a twinkle in his eye <laughs> in an appealing <laughs> manner, but it appears that that outward appearance is quite deceiving. So how would you describe your role? He's a likable guy, uh, friendly, helpful, um, butter wouldn't melt in his mouth, but he has a, a secret life, a really dark and dangerous one, and he's going to be a thorn in the sides of our heroes, I think, throughout the series. I'm not sure myself what his what his real deal is, but he knows whole lot more about a kind of demonic underworld than anyone would have guessed. Very cool. 
Right. Now, obviously in Lost, Ben Linus and then uh, Harold Finch and Person of Interest both kind of walked that line between good and evil or legal and illegal. Uh, you know, what appeals to you about these types of characters from an acting standpoint? And is it a coincidence that you seem to land these morally ambiguous roles or, you know, I, I guess, could you speak to that a little bit? Well, I kind of gravitate to the roles that are right for me or that, I, you know, I'm, I'm really attracted to uh, ambiguity and, and I, I like mystery and I like not knowing. I, I like to keep an audience off balance. So when I, I see these roles, plus I just have to say a, a villain, as I sometimes play, they're, they're far more interesting work than uh, to play the good guys. I'm not sure I even know how to play. <laughs> unadulterated good guy. So, you know, I, I mean, it, there are traps you could fall into. I suppose you could end up playing serial killers for the rest of your life. And I don't, don't really relish that, but I, I do like shades of gray. And <laughs> I think Mr. Townsend is definitely gray. Yeah. And I think w with so much smart writing, you know, you, as you referred to with person of interest, that we see these characters that we reach a point in the overall narrative that we're just not sure whether they're good or bad. And again, as a viewer, I, I just love that. Yeah, I think that's all right. I think that's a good place to be because there isn't much assuredly black and white in the real world that we live in. So why not? Plus, it's just it's just more fun. It's more it's it's more fun to be kept guessing. I think. Oh, totally. And uh, let's talk a little bit about Michael Emerson rather than the characters themselves for a little bit. You came into acting a little bit later in your life than most, but now that you're established both on the screen and on the stage, do you find it helpful to go back and forth? And is it important to you to maintain a presence in both worlds? Well, I. I'm really attached to the world of the theater, I suppose, because it's how I came up and it's how I learned to be an actor. Um, I don't get a chance to do as much of it as, as I might want. I've gotten kind of comfortable in the world of television. You know, I, I like the smallness of the playing and I, I like that it's not a high wire act. There's a safety net. You can always start the scene over that, that kind of thing. I'm, I'm a little more fearful of the stage these days. But, you know, sooner or later, some role will come along and it will be too juicy to resist. And I'll, I'll <laughs> go back on the boards. We'll see. And do you still get a chance to act with your wife on occasion? We, we never plan to, but sometimes it just comes up. Like, you know, the way she ended up being my love interest on Person of Interest was fun. Well, it wasn't anything that we had asked or politicked for, but... Suddenly there she was. Somebody came to me and said, how would you feel if, if we you know, got a hold of your wife to c come in and play this role of grace? And I said, that's great. Uh, you know, <laughs> bring it on. But it's weird. It's, it's weird to play with your real life spouse. It's weird to get up in the morning with the same person that you appear in front of the camera with later in the day. So it's a little jarring. <laughs> and, now, and to try to erase their spouseness in your own brain and, <laughs> and let them be some other character. It's strange. Yeah. <laughs> now, obviously, fans know you from your 
extensive acting resume, everything from the Saw franchise to Lost, Person of Interest, but you have a fairly extensive academic background that includes theater as well as art. I mean, is teaching the craft of acting something you'd like to pursue if you had the time? Well, I don't, I wouldn't say it's a thing I felt confident about. I, there's some doubt in my mind the extent to which acting can be taught. I think you can teach around it or you can offer people tools that might or might not help them. You know, I think voice training is always good and movement, physical movement or dance or, you know, tumbling, you know, those kinds of things end up being useful. I I don't know. I I never took that many. Well, I shouldn't say that. I, I took some acting classes that, you know, really helped me, I guess, but they're, that won't happen in every acting class. Sometimes I, I just I just feel like I've best educated myself by doing it and also by chasing good writing. I, I think that's really helpful. It, I think it's harder to fall into traps and mistakes if the writing is really strong. So, I mean, would that be your, if you could only give a young actor one piece of advice, uh, just follow the, the good roles and... Yeah, follow the good writing. I mean, that's kind of central for me. I mean, there's there's other issues of, you know, the craft on the day of the work and all of that. But if you're trying to pick what you want to do or what you want to work on or develop, I, I think good writing is where it all starts. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Well, speaking of that, actually, I saw an interview in which you talked about how the filming in those last days of Person of Interest was quite intense with the weather and some other things, and you kind of needed a break from television for a while. So what was it about evil that, that pulled you back in after that? Oh, again, writing, you know, any, you know, Robert and Michelle King are, you know, near the top of the heap in the world of television writing. They do cracklingly good dialogue and they're interested in the shades of legal and ethical problems. So it's never too simple or obvious. They they live in the same gray zone, I think, that I like to live in professionally. So I I just thought, oh, God, what a good pedigree on this. And, And the idea that it was something that was maybe outside the CBS comfort zone, um, a network that I have a relationship with and, and that it shot in New York city. That was appealing so that, you know, I can, I can be at home while I do this job. 
and and the the fact that I they're, they're not going to shoot you know a normally long full order season. It's going to be a little shorter than that, which which is good. I I, I think it's good if everybody it doesn't sort of you know work themselves into the ground and then leaves a bit of time in the year for a person to do other things to kind of refresh themselves. Right. I mean, uh, back in the day with the standard 22 episode season or even 24, not that long ago, I guess that really became difficult for the actor. Oh man. Cause after, and I, I think it also, not only is it wearying on the, the company, the crew and the cast, but I, I think the writer's room must just get so burnt out. And, <laughs> yeah. and I, I, I think with fewer episodes, they can make it more dense and to the point. And they, they don't have to spin out as many peripheral storylines or subplots and stuff. They can kind of stay hot on the main idea and see it through. So, well, you know, it, I guess a, a nice transition from that because we've got this proliferation of thought-provoking drama that's available on services like Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, and of course the major networks like CBS. And audiences are getting accustomed to binging an entire season in a day or two. Do you think there's a right or wrong answer here? I mean, Lost, Person of Interest, and now Evil are going to require the live viewers to wait a week in between episodes. Well, I don't know what CVS's plan is with respect to that. I don't know if, you know, because they're, they're opening up new platforms that they, they've got other ways to deliver. So for all I know, they'll start making the episodes available as soon as they have been broadcast on the, on the normal broadcast schedule. So that episodes may accumulate on another platform and be able to be viewed in sequence. I don't know that that won't happen. I just know everything is so in flux with the organization of broadcasting now and what is common practice or what's sensible practice. I think you know a lot of it's being tossed out the window. We'll see what develops. But but yes, you, you're you're right. This one is, this is one where you have to wait from week to week. It was with CBS All Access. Unless you want to wait to the end of the season. Yeah, yeah. All Access might be a possibility. I don't know how that works. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's definitely going there, but it's a, it's like you kind of need that water cooler talk in between each yes, right. episode, especially with Lost. <laughs> yeah, Lost really thrived on that schedule, you know, anticipation and release, anticipation and release. It was good. And then to be teased, you know, to, to have a cliffhanger <laughs> every week that, you know, was enraging and stimulating and <laughs> worth talking about or bitching about, you know, it was really good. It, it, it's a good formula. <laughs> now you told Larry King that you really enjoyed the spiritual nature of the lost ending. And Dave and I are actually in that same minority camp as well. We enjoyed the ending is the uh, spiritual nature of evil, something that you personally have enjoyed and that you think audiences are more ready for in today's television landscape. I, I think because TV is now the more grown-up of our electronic mediums that grown-ups are watching it and they want and they want to see some reflection of the dilemmas and morality of the age we're living in and technology and surveillance and good and evil they want a, <laughs> they, they, they want to see how the issues of the present day line up with 
ancient codes of conduct and moralities and religiosity. So I, I think if evil can get a good mix of those elements, it might get people to watch it week after week. So, and then thrills and chills. Uh, of course. Those are not to be discounted. Okay. All right. If I could just ask you one more quick question about Lost and about Ben Linus. And, you know, viewers that are coming to Lost on a streaming service now, you know, however many years later, probably don't realize that your character, Ben Linus, the intention was only to have you on for a limited number of episodes. But yeah. obviously everything changed. So, you know, when when you got the good news that they wanted to bring you on, for a permanent role is arguably one of the most important characters in the show. How much did they have mapped out of Ben Linus when, when you were brought aboard for that permanent basis? I mean, I know Damon and Carlton have been accused. Oh, they just made it up as they went along, which obviously is silly, but did they fill you in on where your character was going? Well, I think they always had a kind of an Uber narrative outline, but I, I do think, I wouldn't say they were making it up, but they were improvising as they went along, as they developed characters, as they thought of new situations or new angles. I think they would write toward those things and and that they were sensitive both to online feedback and to the feedback they got from the actors that were playing their characters. You know, they would, they would watch me, for example, what I was doing or how I was bending or directing the character. And they would take that if they liked it and they would write that direction. They would write more of that. They would find Ben Linus's uh, sardonic sense of humor or something like that, or his ambiguity or his misgivings. You, You know, they could we were on a kind of a loop or a conversation artistically without ever getting on the phone. The end of my conversation would be my performance in whatever scenes were written for me. And their end of the conversation would be to pick that up and run with it in the next script. Well, we're very much looking forward to another wonderful character that we can both love and hate when evil premieres on CBS and CBS. I think he's pretty bad. (laughs) okay we'll go ahead and call him bad beginning on thursday (laughs) september 26th at 10 p.m thanks so much michael emerson for joining us today thanks great talking to you all right i'm glad dave that we were able to get that last little bit out of him about ben linus he seems very reverent of that role that he has but at the same time very realistic view on lost as a show I, i really found his his perspective on it very refreshing Yeah. And, and, you know, it's always interesting as an interviewer how to approach asking an actor, well, why do they keep asking you to play these duplicitous, (laughs) morally gray area characters? Is there something about you? Yeah. (laughs) It's like you expect them to say, because I look like a weasel or something like that. It's like, no, he's not going to say that. But yeah, it's a great character that he has played in the past and it certainly is fun to see him in these uh, antagonist roles. So I can't wait to see maybe evil will even show up as a show topic. I'm not sure yet. We'll have to wait and see and, and, and see how that uh, show fits into the genre field. Cause you know, with CBS, sometimes it's a little bit of a procedural as well. So we'll see about that. I'm actually definitely looking forward to it because of his appearance 
on evil. So that's once again on September 26th at 10, nine central. But what do we got coming up, Dave, next? You've got a show topic for us. Yeah, a really interesting show called Carnival Row that just dropped on August 30th, Amazon Prime video starring Orlando Bloom, who I love. But Cara Delevingne, who is an actor that a lot of people may know her as merely a model. I certainly became acquainted with her initially from my wife's fashion magazines and seeing her on the cover. (laughs) But she was in the movie Valerian, and I know the critics didn't like it, but I really enjoyed it, and I thought she was great in it. So I'm looking forward to seeing her in you know this situation, which is more of a dark, kind of like 19th century feel to it. I'm not sure if that's exactly how it's going to play out, but I'm really looking forward to this. Right. And so we're going to dive into it with just the first couple episodes because the podcast will drop uh, not too long after the show premieres. So we'll give you a little bit of time to watch the first couple episodes. Join us for that discussion that way. Or if you watch the whole thing, we'll have a little bit of uh, content for you as well. But we're just going to do in season five the same way we've done towards the end of season four. We we realized that the weekly format was going to be really good to do our show topics with just those first two, first three episodes as our discussion. And then the spoiler zone for those of you who have done a deeper dive, especially with these streaming shows. It's funny because we're doing carnival row and following that up with the dark crystal, both of which feature dragonfly winged creatures in a, in a fantasy format. So we definitely have that in common. Plus both shows drop on August 30th. So join us next week for carnival row but that's going to be it for this episode of sci-fi fidelity keep the discussion going on social media you can follow den of geek on twitter and facebook at den of geek us and we are at sci-fi fidelity in the meantime we'd love it if you could rate and review the podcast wherever you access it and be sure to send us your suggestions for future topics on social media or in an email to sci-fi fidelity at gmail.com thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 